Welcome back to another Film Friday episode on the Dunkin' with Dom podcast. Dan, it's good to have you on once again. Another Film Friday, another episode with Dan. Good to have you on. Yeah, I'm super excited about this one. Um, I love this movie. Always easy to just, you know, go back and rewatch. Always take something new away from it. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a great movie. To, to hint at the movie you are already drawing awesome parallels to, we are doing Arrival 2016 science fiction drama Another one of these kind of like right before COVID like era movies where we're like, oh, wow, we forget how great of a movie that is. One of the last sci-fi movies, I think. And we'll get into the discussion later of like overrated, underrated, properly rated. Probably one of our most underrated movies of the 2010s for sure. But my first, my, but my first question for you, what is the go-to thing you love about this movie? You know, I was like – I was thinking about that and like trying to figure out like why I just – in like, in like random nights, I just think about, oh, I don't know, watch Arrival because this movie's sick. Um, and I, I think it's always been like, obviously, like the sci-fi part of it has always been really good, but it tells such, uh, such a beautiful story. I think, simply put, it is really quite something. And you know, to the scope of, um, it's in the scope of Interstellar to me, just because. You know, it, it, you know, within the world of sci-fi, it's still able to tell such a human story. And that connection, I think, um, makes it such a, you know, great movie that, you know, almost seems unexpected. And that's why I think it's so underrated is that, you know, being able to tell such a, a hu- humane and relatable story within this crazy, you know, sci-fi universe, um, you know, that Arrival lives in is... Is really you know hard, really hard to do. Um, but I think you know Villanueva and you know all of his you know counterparts in this movie um, did a phenomenal job. So the the reason why I love this movie is I think you brought up the good point. I always have been a fan of this sort of genre. Like it's kind of like the more adult version of Divergent, of uh, Ender's Game, of like mm-hmm. kind of like this post apocalyptic futuristic but not really in a time frame movie where like life on earth something happens either they need to move off the planet or there's an an alien invasion in this case whatever the circumstance is and yet what makes this so interesting is that this story as you put it it has a lot of human elements especially with the communication between you know these Abbott and Costello and between the, the, the extraterrestrial forces the communication in between countries you look at the era this is made, it's 2016. It's kind of like in terms of like world politics going on and stuff like it was, it was a very tumultuous time, not as bad as now, but it was still pretty like you have to look at just like that whole context and the the human element of this movie is just fantastic. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I was, I always love that aspect. Um, I think, you know, it's interesting is that I think the context that this movie was made is actually really good timing. Um, Cause I'm, you know, it was filmed in, in, within the realm of 2015, um, uh, with you know the year after Interstellar was made, which is kind of a tough act to follow, especially with a movie that's relatively you know closely related. Um, well, and more and more and other other footnote also the birth of the 
the sequels to the Alien franchise. You have Prometheus in 2012 and then Covenant, I think also in 2016 or if not in 2018, but it's in that range. So it's like the rebirth of sci-fi. The Star Wars sequels mm-hmm. are coming out. Like we'll talk about this later, but like yeah. the rebirth of sci-fi in this in this decade is absolutely incredible and this is kind of like a, a unique angle, but I share your point though. It's hard to beat Interstellar, and that's that's a that's a pod we're doing next. But still, it's hard to beat Interstellar with that with that in mind. Oh yeah, definitely. But I I think Arrival does a great job of separating itself from Interstellar. Um, I know that uh, you know after watching Interstellar, the the head honchos behind Arrival had to change the ending uh, from the ori- original. Uh, ending of the, the book story of your life um and it, they, it was it's interesting that you know with such a you know it's it's crazy to see such an impact that interstellar had to change a whole ending of another blockbuster movie that was coming out a couple of years later and um but i again i think that you know kudos to arrival for making all that work because that's not easy to make an ending change like on the fly uh you know, with, with such a, a movie with, you know, so much potential behind it and still, you know, making it work at the end of the day, which is really, really tough to do. But, uh, yeah, kudos to Arrival. It's, it's still really good. <laughs> In terms of differentiating itself, of course, you can't go any further than talking about the complexity with this language thing. And you can go into, like, the deep, big picture, like, symbolisms for the language. You can go into the cool... Uh, like logistical part where they actually created like a whole new language to like make this whole movie work, which is insane. Uh, the the actual plot itself, like where it seems like every academic person out there was like, yeah, like this fits perfectly. There's no errors. Cause I think the hardest thing with this move with this movie that I think gets underappreciated, you not only need to create to make this movie work, this language out of nothing, you need to make it make sense. And then you need to make it make sense for the audience to make sense of it. And doing all three of those things, it's one of the reasons why, for instance, I, I'm i not a huge fan, let's say, of like The Martian. Because I think it's a great movie, but the science of it, it's hard to make people understand. Like, they really, they they could have spent extra time, let's say, in that movie, like, to better understand, like, the actual complexity of it. For, I thought this was way more complex with the language and, like, decoding and whatever, and how you can turn, like dialect and all these cool terms into like sayings for the for Abbott and Costello to understand you unwrap that I I I think it's like just it's an impossible feat you can argue just in in terms of that it might be better than Interstellar on the how do we think outside the box right and I think you know where Arrival gets right is that you don't need to understand the language to understand what's happening in this movie that's simply just sort of a I guess it's sort of just a plot device, but it's also really cool that, you know, they created this whole language for this movie, um, you know, which is really cool to see that level of detail go in, in, into a production like that. Um, but again, you know, you don't need to understand it and you're not supposed to really understand like, like what any of those symbols mean. Cause I, I at the end of the day, I don't think really anyone does, <laughs> um, which is kind of funny, yeah. but, um, but yeah, no, it's it's not really important to understand the language, but you know, obviously there are huge implications with the importance of the language that I think are a little bit easier to grasp um, for audiences, um, which I think makes it all the more digestible and probably is a reason why it's been so successful. And I think it's a great reason as to why people could go back and rewatch it so much. Um, yeah. Well, it, it ties into one of my favorite scenes that we'll touch on later, but it's the scene of like, uh, 
Adams on the board writes like, why are you, I, I forget, but she wrote like a question, like on the whiteboard and she was breaking okay. down the question, like oh, word yeah, by yeah, word yeah. And, and everything and explaining also in terms of the science behind it, explaining the use of like, uh, palindronic fl- th- uh, phrases, like words that you could spell forward or back, like race car and kind of like yeah. all, all like everyday stuff that we use and making it sound cool. And also it makes sense for the plot. And the other thing, too, that's really interesting is, like, I, I can't understate this, but this movie, the involvement of all these countries having to work together in the context of yes. – in the context of 2016 where, like – That doesn't happen a lot. <laughs> yeah, but you look at it. It's in the context of these, the, the uh, mass amounts of terrorist attacks in Europe. Europe's in complete disarray. The, the election of Trump where just like it's now the America first policy, less reliance on our allies, uh, kind of like right before Putin takes hold, more hold of power and before China steps up its aggressiveness. Like you just look at the totality of it and it, it's very interesting to see kind of like this movie was so well timed from that perspective because I think things have gotten worse since like if we're looking at 2022 and like relations with countries, it's probably worse than it was in 2016. It, it's a, that, I think that's a fascinating plot point. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and even, you know, versus now and between back then, you know, I think, will we ever see that sort of collaboration between countries? Maybe like on the level that there was some sort of alien invasion. Um, but I feel like right now there's just not a whole lot to motivate countries to, you know, work together. And, you know, it's too bad because there are definitely so many opportunities for them to actually do that. Um, you know, between you know, climate change, you know, you know, acts of terrorism. I mean, I think just Russia as a whole, something to bond over and do something about. But apparently not. Um, <laughs> well, you know, what's also but, interesting know. about this movie, too, is uh, it's that it's also uh, it's one of many movies in this decade that does this, because if you look at it, The Martian, the same thing, the United States cooperates yeah, with China. Yeah. Like, yeah, it, it seems it seems like an underrated thing in a lot of these movies is we'll cooperate under the most extremist of circumstances. But for everyday things, we're just not, which I think is like it's pretty interesting. Yeah. I think this is like the third movie I've seen in like a short time period where I'm like, oh, like I've seen this before. See, it's here again. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because The Martian, it's like one of my gripes with it is like with China, like actually like help us you know fix this problem like with the martian it's just like i don't know like (laughs) they seem so willing to to help out and it's like is that like actually realistic um you know it's obviously like a movie and like i get it but you know at the same time it's also like i don't know about that one (laughs) so so the other thing too this is the winner besides maybe inception of fucking up everything you knew about time and flashbacks and the perception of memory, like anything psychologically related with time and memories. This has a very frisky case to be the best movie to like screw you up with that. Cause inception definitely was a bigger, a bigger like home run, but in terms of a batting average, arrival really kicks your ass when it comes to just understanding all that, especially like, well, not to spoil it, but like the middle part where we find out that the creatures were communicating uh, with Adams through, or the character yeah. that Adams plays through, like, flash, through what is going to happen, not what has already happened. It's such a mind trick. Which is crazy. And, you know, Bill and Wave is, you know, definitely played around with that idea. And I asked you, um, you know, hey, have you watched Dune a couple of days ago? And I think, I don't know, did you did you end up watching it? or? So I, I, I saw bits and pieces, and it's, un- okay. um, I, I want to hear your thoughts. Of, I want to hear your general, like, takeaway of, like, how Dune ties into this movie. 
So, um, spoiler to the listeners, but um, this is on Dune. Uh, so, if you, ha- if you haven't seen it, definitely give it a watch. To, to clarify, another uh, another Villanueva movie that comes yes, out correct. five years after the movie. Uh, this movie comes out, Arrival. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, within uh, Paul's character, he's played by Timothy Chalamet. Um, he he experiences these sort of like. Not, they're like future flashes, I guess, or flash futures instead of flashbacks. Um, but obviously, like you know, only part one has come out, so we don't know what they totally mean, which is kind of uh, which is kind of funny when relating it to Arrival because you know, like I, I don't even know like what you know what to expect in the in the future. I don't really know how it's exactly working. Um, but within Dune, you know, he has sort of like these future you know flashbacks or you know, flashes within his head of kind of things that like might happen which you know some of them actually like don't even like end up happening sort of deal um so it's interesting i don't know exactly how that's going to work out or what it means um but you know similar sort of deal where you know the only way they plays with this aspect of you know being able to see the future and with dune it's even more complex because you don't know whether it's true or not um but with arrival you know by the end of it you understand get to understand that you know at the end of it um these you know, these uh, flashes within Louise's head are indeed the future and what is most definitely going to happen, um, which is a really interesting concept uh, that I think even like Nolan hasn't totally played around with. Me kind of intended, but it's a different, totally different um, uh, play on time. Well, well something yeah. I loved about, not to go off topic, but something I loved about doing that ties into Arrival is the use of old like kind of similar to how in arrival there's the use of like linguistics and physics to kind of figure out something the use of religion and yeah. science in in uh in dune like stuff that again you can understand and relate with if you did research and just knew a little bit about it that right. fits the plot perfectly but again this the the emphasis on the flash futures and like the the messing up with time is such a great it's a great use in both the movies is what i found Oh, definitely. Yeah, no, it's it's a lot of fun, um, you know, especially, like, once you, like, get the hang of, like, how Arrival works as a movie, like, going back and rewatching it makes it all the more special because you can kind of, like, like, once you get the grasp of, like, what's actually happening and you, like, start to, like, piece together all the different um, uh, puzzle pieces of, you know, the Flash Futures, um, you know, you can kind of get a good grasp of, like, really the, you know, the specialty of know what is happening or what is going to happen in louise's life which makes sort of that decision at the end all the more powerful it's like yeah your daughter's gonna die but like you know it really comes out of the question of is it worth it to still go through with that you know pretty big life decision that you know it's super hard to imagine like making that sort of decision in life because obviously none of us are really ever going to have to make it unless you know arrival happens in our own in our own reality um but it's such an interesting, you know, decision to kind of, you know, contemplate over because, you know, being able to see your future like that when something so bad is going to happen, but still, you know, making the decision to go through with it too is just, oh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. Well, what's what's funny? So there's two there's two points I have to tie into that. Number one is that there's only been I think like less than like seven or eight movies that made me cry and all for different reasons mm-hmm. like the saving private ryan like and beginning and ending just kicked my butt marriage yeah, story because yeah. it's got a personal connection uh 
there's been like a couple children's movies that I just love that are like real like I think Toy Story four just from like the nostalgia standpoint. There's a really lot. interesting. I, there, there's a couple. There's a couple on the list. I, didn't, I wasn't a huge fan of that movie. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't. Maybe something wrong with me. <laughs> Again, emphasis on nostalgia and nothing else. Everything else about the movie That's was. Fair. But but what's interesting about this movie is that it gets you on an emotional level from. It's it's the first time I've had a movie like made me cry about somebody else's story and more mm-hmm. specifically just about this idea that this person knows her whole future and is still going to go and run away with this knowing that it I, I don't even like the fact that we don't know the thought process of that is very like hard where we can't even like imagine what it's like to de- be in that situation. The second thing though that I love about this movie and it ties into again like the the pros I love about this film. It kind of fits into a, I call it like a modern take on the human humanity's long desired fascination for life after death, and you see this in religion, you see this in with philosophy, you see this with like people trying to beat time and go yeah. back to being youthful. What like there's tons of historical examples and famous examples. This is the a modern take on kind of like what what would you do with the power of knowing your future and what would you do if you can like change your future before you even knew about it and like the difference between predestination and the whole idea behind destination itself like all these big picture concepts you've got like a modern adaptation in this film which it's crazy because i i can't remember at least in my lifetime a film that kind of taps into this sort of field no definitely not i mean it's it's i can't think of any other film either i mean maybe like Interstellar, um, I think, is a really good comparison to this movie, um, especially on an emotional level. Um, but I feel like where Interstellar misses where Arrival hits because everything comes at you right at the end. Exactly, um, it builds up. Which is it, that it, understanding. It builds yeah. up. It builds up pretty nicely for it being a pretty short film, by the way. The film's only yeah, like an hour, and I think it's only an hour and thirty if you're not including the credits. Like it's a heat check film. Yeah, no, it's, it's totally. I mean, it's. You know, it, it moves along so nicely. It still has great pacing, and it's not that long. You know, you feels it feels very refreshing as a movie because you know it's you know you're not going like two and a half hours like Tarantino does, but it's still able to really hit you at the end. And it's just it, you know it's incredible writing, great story that they based it off of. Um, you know, and it's funny because like where Interstellar does hit is kind of right in the middle. You know where. Um, you know, they get get off of Miller's planet. That's like my favorite scene when uh, Matthew McConaughey or Cooper uh, is you know watching his kids like grow up on you know video feeds. You know after just you know existing for like seven hours, he just comes back and like watches his kids just totally grow up, which is like crazy to think about. Um, but you know that's sort of the same thing with Arrival is that it happens at the end at the right place where it should happen. Um, and it just it gets you it really does um you know and even if you like totally don't understand the movie like there's still you know especially with you know max richter's uh i guess it's on uh on the nature of daylight i think it's called um great track you know the one the one track music track that stopped johansson from getting an oscar which he probably would have gotten an oscar <laughs> that wasn't in the uh in the soundtrack but nonetheless it doesn't matter because it still makes for a great movie um but you know, super emotional song, great you know, great editing, and it, it hits hard. So, the the other thing about this movie, real quick, in terms of, of it hitting hard, is th- this. Uh, I can't. I still can't get over the scene where uh, Adams's character is 
in the middle of the dinner member with like na- all the NASA people. And she walks into the, I think it was the Chinese president or the, the, the Chinese prime minister, but it was like a top yeah. figure and like getting the hint of like, you saved our planet by doing this, this and this, that again, that whole messing with time thing is super cool. <laughs> I know. It's like, it's like Louise just kind of like tapping into her new power and making, you know, like her first like real use of it. And super cool to see. She's like, yeah, well, what did I do? Like, I'm actually like in the past right now sort of deal. And I'm like trying to like figure out like what I'm going to do. <laughs> it's super funny to like, kind of like understand like, like what's going on there. But like, once you get it, it's like, Oh, like that's really cool. Like she can, you know, like tap into like the exact moment that she needs to be tapped into. Well, I guess another thing, another thing that ties in real quick is also, so they use premonitions in this movie, but what's interesting is that if we're doing a comparison to like, I haven't seen interstellar, so I can't give that perspective. Maybe you can in terms of the psychological component and that that's a future pod that's coming up. I completely just spoiled something for you. Shit. (laughs) Oh, oh, you can, you can spoil it because it won't make sense to me, but with the use of premonitions in an inception, it affects the person and the characters from a like, wow, this is actually happening. But I think what's weird is that with arrival, I feel like it hits home a little bit better just from like a watchability standpoint of like, wow, like we're literally watching this person. Like, I don't know. Like it, it, it seems a lot more chaotic and it just seems like really cool. Like the way it, it kind of like formulated an arrival. Oh yeah, definitely. No, it's, it's great buildup, great pace and great structure. All the pieces fit together and yeah, no, phenomenal ending it's 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 almost a perfect movie in my aspect it's really just truly one of my favorites um yeah should we get into like categories so i was i was i was gonna say the categories we can begin because there's a lot to unpack from a discussion standpoint but i think the easiest ironically the easiest category is our favorite scene so we can just go back and forth with nominations and why so i'll let you go first so my favorite scene is more of a sequence but it's totally the end which I don't say a lot about movies. Um, sometimes I, I feel like I always like think about like, Oh, like this could have happened and the ending would have been better. Or, like, they could have done this in the ending. It's like, Oh, that would have been perfect. But with this movie, like I can't really think of anything better just cause you know, that's just the way arrival is. And you know, it's, it's not so much a scene and it's more of like, you know, the coming together of like three scenes, I guess. And yeah. some other, you know, flash forwards. Um, but again, you know, I, I love the song at the end, you know, I, I will disagree with any film critic being like, oh, you know, this, you know, this end song is like totally overused in movies. Um, it's also used in Shutter Island, fun fact. Um, <laughs> yes. And which I actually don't remember where in Shutter Island they use it, but I remember exactly where they use it in Rival. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it's just, it's so well done. It's so well done. Um, so definitely 100%. The ending of Arrival is my favorite part. That is also a nomination, clearly, for me. I would assume that includes, like, the past and present scene with the Chinese president. It includes the communication with the he- the heptapod. It, honestly, no. You don't uh, think so, no. like, the last, like, six or so minutes. So, you, like, the very, very uh, ending, you think? Yeah. Okay, I, okay, that's awesome. So, so, one of mine is the one I hinted, but it's the nature of a question scene where... Yes, uh, Adams breaks down, uh, or I guess Louise breaks down the entire, like, the nature of why they need to communicate with these things, because she's, like, a linguist, and she's, like, we need to understand, do they even know what the, a question is? Do we, like, they do they know what this word means? Can we provide them purpose, intent? Like, breaking down how, like, a seven-word question is going to determine the fate of humanity and why they shouldn't just, like, blow them up with, like, with, like yeah. rockets. <laughs> but, yeah, it's such an interesting scene. 
it's it's crazy because it's like if you, it's so it's actually like fairly easy to understand too, which is nice because you know it's about our own language, and you know so the true science behind Arrival is you know something we're very familiar with as opposed to many other sci-fi. Well, the other thing, too, about this scene, it kind of sets up the premise of the movie where now, like, for it being such an easy concept, like, I feel like everyone's, like, brain when you watch that scene is like, whoa, like, I didn't really think about that, like, to communicate with these alien things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. All right, next scene from you. Um, ooh, oh, um, I'm going to say the, the scene, like, leading up to when the, uh, that little um, area they're in. Oh, they're always in in the ship. Yeah. Um, like before and like during when it gets blown up, like when they see just like that entire projection of like all the different, you know, circle symbols. Um, I thought that was really cool. You know, when the, I think it's, I think it's Costello. Um, he starts like tapping on the glass screen. Uh, oh, it's, it's so creepy. And it's just like, uh, <laughs> so, what is this? Like, like what's going on? Like this hasn't happened before. And it's like totally interesting to see like, to see these aliens like also like, you know, struggle to communicate with these humans because, you know, they're in the same boat, like, realistically. Um, obviously, humans are putting in most of the legwork, to be honest. <laughs> they're the ones, like, really trying to figure it out. Like, the aliens are just kind of like, it's creepy. all right, when they're coming back, like, I guess, you know, we'll figure it out when they get here. But they're, like, working, you know, the humans are working their asses off. Um, Decoding a language that doesn't exist. All of it at them. It's so funny. Um, but really cool just to see, like, the the true potential of what the language can do and like visually see that um, is really quite powerful within the plot of the story. Um, I really love that scene. I thought it was great. Well, another reason why I like this movie is that I I can't underrate the, the importance of language in this movie and not just from like the plot sense or whatever, but language in today's era where Mm. like you have to factor in that there's so much movement of people and, and everything now that there's all sorts of languages across the globe. The importance of like social media and technology on that, and we see technology is like super big in this movie to to decode and de and translate what yeah. what the the heptapods are saying. I feel like language, like not so like duh, like language is important, but I feel like for this movie it really hits home that the importance of language, like in society. Yeah, no, I mean you would know about the importance of language more than most people. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> um, you know, me not knowing any other languages, like truly knowing them. Uh, Makes it a little bit interesting, but you know, trying to like tap into uh, Louise's sort of headspace is really interesting to, to see. You know, especially within that uh, that scene where Forrest Whitaker kind of you know first comes to her office and he's like, "Do this," and she's like, "Whoa, whoa, wait a second, guy! Like, you know, this isn't this isn't you know standard operation, you know, or standard procedure or whatever. Like, this is like completely new. Like, I can't do this." Um, <laughs> Which is, like, crazy to think about. And then, you know, by the end of the movie, they have, like, they have it all mapped out, which is crazy. Well, the, the other thing, too, about this, I guess from, like, the, the language perspective, too, it kind of ties into another one of my favorite scenes, which is the 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 scene where they explain how China China misinterpreted what the what one of the words means because they interpreted weapon and they were like oh weapon like shit and then like they're, they're like sending in all the forces to blow this thing up and it's like weapon like language so it ties into both like the use of a weapon uh, the use of a language is like a powerful tool like in our society but also just like the importance of it in the plot is is like a really good connection yeah and you know it also speaks to you know the importance of, you know, precision within language, um, you know, just cause like, you know, just because you think one word means something doesn't actually, you know, mean that it's 
means this or that or whatever. You know, because, you know, weapon, you know, when, when you think about the context of the movie, when you're watching it, you know, it's like, oh, does this actually, like, mean weapon? You know, <laughs> you're like, are you sure about that? And they just take it so literally. And it's like, you know, and I, like, I totally feel for Louise because it's just like, wait a second, like, this could mean, like, anything. Like, we don't know. Like, you just, like, we've only been working on this language for a month, guy. And it's like, come on, you know. Well, some time with it. So, some bonus plot points for mentioning. I, I, I'm going to butcher this, but it's like the Mahong or Mahjong, but like the, the, the war game. Oh, yeah. Where that's like, that's crazy how like China used that as their method and the Americans are using. Because the other thing, too, I think that's important for the plot is I like how they. I don't think it was an extra detail and it wasn't even picking nits to have like, I think, what was it, 12 or 13 different heptapods and. It's it's an underrated scene too, where they're trying to explain like why they're thirteen, why in those specific spots, and there was no correlation whatsoever, and it ties into like again the idea that you can understand what's going on in this movie, and it's not like there's no there's no missing like plot hole that you're like okay why didn't they do this instead of that like it's a very simplified film. Oh yeah, definitely. No, they do they do a good job of you know tying everything together. Um, yeah, the the Mahjong thing is kind of crazy. That that you was know, a great. The way Louis explains it's like. Oh, I never would have thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know if you have any more nominations, so I'll throw two more. Uh, yeah, the You Changed My Mind scene where it's, again, that uh, I guess I would consider this different from the very, very ending. But the scene where it's the flash forward with them celebrating, like, the heptapods disappearing and the 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 dialogue between the Chinese president and, uh, and between uh, – and between Louise is really good. And then I really like the one of the first, like the middle scene where all the countries like shut down their communications with each other. And it's just like pure panic. You really don't know if you're watching the film for the first time, like what's going to happen. Like that, that uh, suspense, shall we say, is like really cool. Oh, yeah, definitely. No, they, they do a great job of suspense in this movie, too. Yeah, for, it, for, for it being such a short movie, that can be a little tricky sometimes. Because, you know, you, a lot of times like. You don't just you just don't have enough pieces to work with, um, but you know the, the the story is very grounded. You know they don't try to like you know swim around to you know too many different you know plot lines. It's kind of, it's very much you know one singular one. You know focusing on two characters, and then you have all these other people just kind of hanging out. Uh, but yeah, no, it's that's it's a very good point. Do you have any more nominations? Because I actually have one more that I think is relevant to our plot. Um, I don't know. Go for it. I think in terms of a film perspective and in terms of like a does it matter perspective, I think it wasn't like out of all the film pods we've done, the opening scene isn't like the best. But in terms of the relevance to the plot and the importance for the ending, I think you kind of need to put it in like a nomination just from that. Like you have to you need that first scene to understand the flash forwards in the movie as well as the the ending, which you, you can argue the ending isn't good without the beginning. And the ending is such a, an ass kicker that I feel like you need to nominate the beginning just for like, it, it, you have to. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those, you know, interesting instances of where the ending is, or the beginning is truly important for the ending, but it also like kind of takes away from, you know, having a truly good beginning scene here. Cause it is kind of confusing as to like what's actually happening. Yeah. Cause it's like, it's very know, uppy, right? Where it's like, Oh, like this yeah. random person just died. Like, what is this? Like, I get it, but what, what's going on here? <laughs> Right, and it, it, it's tricky because it's like you think like what you see afterwards is happening after like all of that. So it kind of it trips you up like for the first time when you see it. Like I, as I imagine it did with you, um, it's like 
wait, so like this hasn't happened yet? Like I thought it already happened. Like just it already you know, happened in the beginning and it's such a, you know, like, aha, F you. Like, you've been looking at this wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I think is really funny, and I just love how it like, kind of toys with the audience. Um, but, again, I think that makes it, you know, even even more genius in, in, in that respect. Do you have any other nominations? Because if not, I think it's time to pick a favorite scene. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going with the ending. That's my... I think I think I'm gonna go with the ending too. I really like the ending. <laughs> it's, it's such a... It's, 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 it's one of the... It has to be for me like a top three ending. I don't know where you would put it on your pantheon, but I think it's a top oh, ending for me. That's good. I'm, I'm very glad. No, it's, it's definitely up there for me. I don't know. I haven't really thought about that. So it's always it's always been one that's hit harder than most, and you know, even like within like I think it was my sixth time watching it before the spot, um, and I was like, oh, she's still hitting her. <laughs> yeah. And, so, you know, so it never gets old. It always gets you kind of you know in your bag a little bit, but you know, it, you know. Still, I mean, that means it's working. The ending really works, which is always a good sign. Yeah, again, one of the few movies that got me emotionally charged watching it. And also, it, I think it's kind of like, I'm trying to think where it ranks in terms of like the shock value, but I would say it's probably a top three shock value because you, you really don't expect it. Like, it's the ultimate plot twist. It's kind of like, I would say for me, it probably ranks like behind the inception where you don't know if the little like thing is going to keep spinning or not. And then after that, it's probably like wide open with like, how open-ended the movie is with that just not knowing because it, it's like a it's hard to explain but it's like you know what's going to happen where the child's going to die uh the husband's going to leave uh adams but at the same time though like the thought of like not being able to see that in a scene and just like you're up to figure out that on your own is insane yeah oh it's it's an interesting um moral dilemma that you know again presents us with that you know it's like Oh, but you know, it's like, uh, like so much bad shit's gonna happen. But like, you know, but look at all the good stuff that's gonna happen. You know, it's which makes it super tricky to kind of you know play out in your brain and you know sort of think through. And that it's it, it, it comes down to you know is you know all the good things that happen you know early in Hannah's life you know with uh, Louise you know spending all that time with her and you know you got to think that that's got to be pretty special you know especially when that's like your only kid. Um, you know, and it's, is it worth it to put her through that, um, just that have her, you know, die of a rare disease at the end? Um, you know, in that scene, oh, maybe this is another potential, I have one more nominee for best scene. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the flash forward of when Amy Adams and Hannah, um, are by the lake and she's like, yeah, well, I told your dad something that, like, he wasn't ready to hear that you're basically going to die in, like, three years or whatever, which is, like, crazy. Like, imagine, like, telling your husband that, like, yeah, I know this, but it's also what kind of trips me up about it, I guess, a little bit, um, is that, like, how did Louise's husband, or I guess Ian, like, how did he not know that, like, she had, like, she had this power? Like, wouldn't she say something about it? Like, has she kept it silent? I don't know. <laughs> I always thought that was interesting. So, uh, if you so favorite scene for us is at the ending. The next category, what ages well? There's a, there's a lot that ages well, man. Uh, so I'm gonna go with an interesting one, and we'll go back and forth again. Amy Adams really aged well because yes. I, I did a, did a little research. I would argue this is her best performance. But what's interesting is that she did not get nominated for an Academy Award for this film. She got nominated for American Hustle, which is really good in 2014, and then Vice, yep. which is probably a top three political film for me in 2019. But I would argue again, that I think this was the better of her three performances in that little peak, but this is like peak Amy Adams, like 
in terms of like her apex, like Amy Adams, like age is super well given before, after it's awesome. Yeah. It's interesting to like kind of look at Amy Adams career and that like, she had like this like weird stint and like, the first decade of the 2000s and then like it's a whole lot of blah yeah and she goes on like this kind of crazy tirade like it's almost a bit of a comeback story for amy adams it, it was she's like, all right, like i'm gonna do all these like you know like really cool movies like american hustle was great um again i agree with you arrival's definitely better best performance uh to date um we're still waiting for her to come have a big comeback I don't even know what she's doing anymore. I don't know what she's what she's up to. Anymore. Yeah, has has not been in a she has not been nominated for an Academy since Vice in nineteen. So, has she been in other movies? I don't even know. I, I'd imagine. I'd imagine so. Yeah, just let me for it. <laughs> yeah, I can I can Google the the filmography real quick and see if uh. You know she's been in she's been in see so she was in Dear Evan Hansen. I know that for sure because oh, she was okay. the mom. Here's the yeah. thing: ever since Vice, she's been in a Justice League movie. The Woman and the Widow, oh. and then Dear Evan Hansen. So in terms of, like, it's it's really fallen off since Vice. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> I know. What the hell happened? She, she's got, like, the weirdest... She was doing so well! It, it reminds me of, like... I'm trying to think of a good NBA player comp for a career because it, it is funny how it's, like, <laughs> it's a whole lot of nothing and then this little mini peak out of... Like, it's very Steve Nashy, where Steve Nash, like, yeah. peaks out of nowhere for, like, seven years and then it just falls off a cliff once he gets it's injured. Great. It's, like, very... It's Steve Nash, Amy Adams, I'm, I'm calling it. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> so no, I think it, I think this is definitely Amy Adams' best performance. She was great in this. She was she awesome. Oh, she her. killed it. The overacting. I, I know was. she was Bill Webby's first choice too, which so good on him for you know nailing that one. Um, some other so other things to age well. Let you go now. Um, uh, production design. Yeah. Um, what's his name? I forget his name, but the guy who did the production design, and he also did Dune. I think he did Sicario too. Um killed it as always i think the ship is super cool the alien ship um maybe maybe a peak pinnacle for uh for alien ships because that's this is definitely one of the coolest designs it's very sleek but it's also like super haunting um but i love the inside of it it's totally like it, it, like i guess i guess dude takes from arrival and sort of like the the rounded edges on like rectangles and whatnot um so you see a lot of that dude and there's definitely that in, in the ship of arrival. Um, you know, no harsh harsh edges. I think uh, is really interesting. But yeah, overall production design, especially of the ship, is awesome. I I, th- I think to add on to that, not just production, but also the the plot. I think it for it being based on a book, it's very original. I think it also another thing that ages well is again being part of this like sci-fi narrative universe that. If you look at Dune in 21 and then you look at other movies that followed uh, Arrival and Interstellar. Yeah. The, the, you thought it would like already peak and I, you can argue it's gotten better since since this movie, which is crazy. I wouldn't have yeah. believed it. Um, other thing is cinematography was great. Oh, it's it one of they, the best. I love, I love like, kind of like the play with gravity that they do. Um, like, you know, like when they go up into the ship and whatnot, like that's, they had a lot, I, I can't imagine like how much fun they had in filming that. Um, <laughs> it's like not an easy thing to kind of like, like, you know, perceive like within your head, but Brad Free Young, what a legend. Um, yeah, he did a great job. I thought he had a lot of fun with it. I love all the angles, you know, the different, you know, sort of twists and turns and things, but the camera movements was awesome. So, so another thing, this is actually a tougher one. I don't know if it ages well or not, but, um, it's 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 interesting to see if this is one of Jeremy Renner. If this is like the beginning of the end for Jeremy Renner, because if you look at it, 
I would argue the Hurt Locker was his peak in 2008. But in terms of him being a second character, like, uh, like what age well is uh, Renner's ability to be like a second act to other people? He has multiple Avengers movies like after this. And like, in fact, uh, Captain America Civil War was the same year as this. So just from a like secondary part of a, a larger cast perspective, I'd argue he aged well in that sense. Because I, I think he was like the perfect... I think the casting in this movie generally aged well because Adams was, like, big but not, like, big, big. Renner was, like, a tier two or three actor. You didn't really... I, I, I feel like this movie would have been worse if you had, like, Brad Pitt in it or uh, Will yeah. Smith, let's say. Who's By the way, Will Smith has been in these types of movies before, like, Vampire and, like, iRobot. So it would have been... It's just, it doesn't feel the same if it's uh, not Jeremy Renner. Well, you know what's interesting? I was trying to, like, think about that. Like, I've always gone back and forth with, like, whether this is, like a good role for Jeremy Renner just because it's like I don't know it, it's weird to see him kind of play like the nerdy type but I mean like he's kind of like this big stock well and, and keep in mind this is four years after the Bourne uh remember the Bourne like kind of spinoff movie yeah. he's in the middle of the Avengers thing like all jacked up so it is weird pl- him playing yeah. this like they literally had to delay filming because Jeremy Renner was filming Civil War yeah like it, it, so, it's like, a little it's like he's kind of jacked in this movie and it's like he's a scientist like he's like this nerdy guy so yeah. I guess that's always kind of thrown me off. Well, but I, I honestly, I think the, you know, if we're going to like, you know, if we were going to recast this role, um, and not that Jeremy Renner is bad in this role, I just think it's kind of interesting. It's an interesting cast. It's a choice. weird, di- but well, here's the case, real quick. Ronnie Malik, who, who? that's my choice. Ronnie Malik, okay. Ronnie Malik, yeah. Interesting. I, he's definitely on the young side, but if he can make him look a little older, he probably would. Well, you He's know what? That nerdy sort of sense little plot twist. I think you know what does age well. American Hustle because yes. both both Renner and Adams are together in that movie. You can argue that kind of ties into them eventually playing this role. Yeah, they do have good chemistry. I will say that. That's the thing. Maybe maybe from a chem. You have to wonder because I think with yours the fit would be better, but the chemistry wouldn't be there because that's the thing. Like you, that's you, true. You need to have that connection with. Renner and with Adams at the end and it's a build up in order for the ending to hit like as emotionally as it did mm-hmm. so I yeah. think it's a case of like Renner might be a worse actor and a slightly worse fit but from a, ne- a plot necessity it might have been the better choice it- it's, a- it's a good debate and you know what the good thing is that you know Renner still like it, it still worked within the movie it did yeah. sort of usual character types that he plays it's, it's actually kind of refreshing to kind of see him step out of his usual Hawkeye role um, and you know, sort of you know more masculine role, and just kind of you know let Amy Adams do the driving and, uh, of the movie, which is really nice. He actually does a great job. It's very uh, Damon esque. Um, Damon also probably would have been good fit for this too. Damon would have been a good second character, I think. He might have you know stolen the show a little bit too much just because his name's so big. Where Jem- Jeremy Renner doesn't quite have that star power. Um, the, the other thing, too, I feel like you need Adams's personality to stand out. Like, I feel like Amy Adams, if she was overshadowed by the Brad Pitt, Matt Damon macho type, I don't know. I feel like that would make the movie not good. Yeah, totally. No, I mean, it, that would, it would have been, I think it would have been tough on the chemistry sort of aspect. You, so, and, and you remember, I, like, like, the, and, like, really tone himself down. The, I mean, you could definitely do it, but, like. It's interesting to think about, like, how that would have played out. Plus, the, the plots, like, within the, like, the plots within the context of the military, it's already, like, loud and annoying enough. Like, you need, like, kind of, like, the the shy girl who's got, like, family issues to, like, kind of, like, be the star. Like, I don't know. Like, it, it would be weird from a plot standpoint. Oh, yeah, totally. So, th- this ties into what really aged well. How about Dennis Villanueva as a director, man? Oh, my God. Does, he is on a- 
he hasn't missed like since prisoners he has not missed so let's do it since 2013 prisoners sicario arrival blade runner the sequel and then dune and the new dune movie which yeah. we assume well, and sicario 2 the one. Uh, yeah and sicario 2 but in terms of like your heat like in terms of, in terms of a decade apex you were looking at seven straight films of pure awesome which you yeah. can argue he might have like a he might be like the michael jordan in the sense of like the 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 amount of years isn't as big compared to like other superstars but in terms of like what he's doing in that short amount of time it, it's insane what he's done in a decade even like it's crazy because like they're all they're all like especially with arrival blade runner doing they're all these like sci-fi type movies but they're three radically different movies which is which is the crazy part yeah no i mean he has he, he has such a good understanding of different universes um you know because you know you know the thing with blade runner and dune is you know they're they're you know works that have already been done before yeah um you know, later on there's been a whole movie about it that people love so trying to follow that up and doing as well as he did is just such a such a hard thing to do you don't you do not see it often and then with dune you know obviously the, the first movie with kyle whatever is the twin peaks dude was not good um, so, so, so th- this t- this ties into I don't have anything else that's aged well in this movie because again we ran through it. So before we do what didn't age well, we'll save that for the end. Mm. Interesting kind of uh, discussion based question here: Is this movie Arrival Villanueva's peak? The case the case for it is that you can argue this movie was better than Prisoners and Sicario, and because of that. Yeah. It launches off what happens six years later. You can also argue, given the lack of like super duper star casting, the shorter runtime compared to the other films, no nostalgia. It's based on an older film. You kind of give it the credit because of that. The case against the peak, though, is that given the nostalgia and the and the the hype for Blade Runner, the sequel really did hit home for the Blade Runner movie in 2017 to the point where. Maybe that's his peak, but then I've never seen. I've only seen bits and pieces of Dune. You can argue Dune also is his peak. So where would you consider? Like, it's hard to be like which movie's better, but would you consider Arrival to be the peak? Um, no, no, I, but, same here. But I, it's his best movie, yes. But I, I, I mean, obviously, like you know, Prisoners is what got him on the big stage. But I think Arrival cemented him as truly one of the you know. You know one of the top filmmakers, you know, of this generation, you know, especially within the sci-fi drama uh, category. Um, but I think, I think a lot of people were really excited about Blade Runner, and you know, with the sequel being as good as it was, I think you know people started paying a lot more attention to Villanueva when Blade Runner came out. Because um, I think you know, Arrival was a, a little bit overlooked. Because I just remember like casually going to see it in theaters. I was like, the end of it, I was just like, oh my god, that was incredible. And then people like paid attention to when Blade Runner came out. You know, I, I feel like mostly for the fact that you know it was a sequel, such a you know big eighties hit. Well, and thir- um, thirty five years in the making, by the way. Yeah, and, and with and with uh, and with Harrison Ford and uh, is it Ryan? Yeah, Ryan Gosling too. Like those two, yeah. like that was insane. Just huge star power. I mean, you know, Harrison Ford obviously has such a huge legacy behind him. And Ryan Gosling has always been like a big actor, uh, especially within the last decade. Um, That's why I think I, like I think Blade Runner has to be the peak. Because of the pandemic, I feel bad for Dune. It's gonna, it's a great movie. It's gonna come back big with the second part, but it lost a lot of, um, 
you know, notoriety, I feel like, just because of the pandemic. And so you couldn't really see it in theaters. And Bill, Na- Bill Nueve is rightfully pissed off about that, which I agree with. So, so, so two, two, two plot points to what you just said. So first off, I think that actually factors into the equation. I feel like Blade Runner has to be the peak because then you look at Dune gets lost into the fold. Blade Runner's got way more nostalgia and star power. And as good as Arrival was, I feel like Blade, Blade Runner was just um, awesome. That sequel was like fantastic. But the right. other thing too that matters for this is you do have a what if scenario of – if Dune comes out in theaters and there is no pandemic, just from like, we pretend the pandemic doesn't happen and it's a normal society for 2021, does Dune get a better reception and does Villanueva get a better uh, reception? Because I feel like Villanueva is like, I'm not going to say he's underrated, but I, I do think he's not getting enough credit for the, the decade he's pulled off here. Right. No, I agree with that. Um, I think with Blade Runner, because the first Blade Runner was good and the first adaptation of Dune was not good is why people are probably going to know him for, I mean, let's be honest, like when you hear Bill Nueve, like even if people don't know who he is, like he directed Blade Runner, like that's the movie people are going to know that he did and like people are going to hear about Dune, but like, that matters, you know, I the, agree the, totally. The, the cultural impact that Blade Runner had was so much more significant than Dune and obviously like, you know, what Bill Nueve has done with Dune is incredible. He did a great job with the first part. Um, but, you know, in terms of that nostalgia factor, you know, and what that does for a, a movie, and in particular the, the Blade Runner sequel, is, you know, it's huge. And I think that, you know, I mean, it's got to be Blade Runner, I think, as it speaks so far. No, then Which, that... yeah, you have to be seen because if the Dune, if the next Dune movie is really good, good then, you know, those, those movies are going to be its best. So. Yeah, it, it's interesting, too, just because I didn't even think of that, of like, the, the the first Doom movie was like abominably bad, and the first Blade Runner was like <laughs> historically like pop culture, like everyone right. knows about it. Like that matters too. So we have a couple more discussion questions, but I think we need to do first what didn't age well, and right. this ties into one of the questions I'll give you in a bit. I think this movie is just criti- I think it it gets lost. This movie just what doesn't age well. This movie gets totally lost. When you had yeah. told me we we're gonna do this film, I was like, I don't even know what the hell this movie is just crazy to me it's, it's like it's so good it's like how do people not know about this but yeah like it, it, i don't know why i don't i've like tried to answer the, that question but why don't why hasn't everyone not watched this and well, i can't figure it out well it's also weird because i think something that also didn't age well was not believing believing in amy adams because the thing is like in on paper you'd be like oh my god she's she's st- the star of the movie but She's always been a secondary character. The the 2000s, she just wasn't really, like, a big hit. She was never that good. It wasn't then, taken seriously either in the 2000s, I feel like. Yeah, exactly. Like, so I think from that perception didn't age well. Other than that, I mean, here's the problem. I really, like, I don't want to be biased, but I really don't have any problems with the plot in this movie, which is rare because usually I have, like, a problem with the plot. I don't. I don't either. I think it's really, I think it's, it's very solid. Like maybe a nitpick. It took way. It was way too damn fast for them to understand that language that doesn't exist anywhere. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of time that passes in between that like little montage, and it's not very. It's like they I think they mentioned it once. It's like you guys have been at this for like a month, maybe. I, I, I like I can't even remember. Like that's a thing. It's like that's a so didn't age well. That that's a little plot hole. That passes, and you just have no idea. Like, <laughs> um. I mean, another thing that didn't age well is uh, China almost declaring World War Three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. In, yeah, t- in today's not age, not looking good. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Uh, hey. Another thing that doesn't age well—not necessarily like, it's not like a bad thing—but Michael Stuhlbarg 
one of my favorite people, one of my favorite actors out there. Um, I don't know whether you have seen Dope Sick, the, the Hulu miniseries. No, no. But he is like actually like terrifying in that series. <laughs> he's like this big pharma, uh, like head honcho. Um, he's basically the guy that like created like uh, Oxycontin. Oh, okay. like got people like super addicted and like killed because of it and whatnot. It was like really bad, but he plays the role like unbelievably well. And he just got nominated for Emmy for it. So if he doesn't win, like I don't know what to think anymore. Um, but he's playing like he's he, like he doesn't use that much like creativity that like i feel like i know he has like with like within the cia agent it just it feels so cliche it does it's it's a little yeah i'm like you casted michael stuhlbarg like a a good actor you know maybe at that time like he probably like didn't get the chance to like really like show off his talent um you know he's probably just trying to like fill the role more or less but it's it's tough to see you know such a talented actor um that i know he is playing such a kind of boring world that you've seen like time and time again <laughs> so Whitaker too honestly yeah it's it, this movie is weird from the acting perspective just on like wow it's all these guys at like different points like that was such a broad scene but like it's interesting points for all of these people in their careers and it's just like wow like you got all these guys at this time <laughs> it's like yeah in, in retrospect it's just funny it's just like when it you're doing the, to- the totality of it so Whitaker is just once again playing his little general role like i'm in charge i'm I'm the old dude on set with the most experience. It felt like Rogue One, you know? Yeah. So <laughs> let's do – I think that's it for what didn't age well. Let's do some oh, – some. Actually, I have one more. Go ahead, uh, go Captain ahead. Parks, um, that one guy who's like watching like crazy news feeds online and like he's like, oh, yeah, I got to protect my kids. But it wasn't like really well fleshed out. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to set a bomb off in the, in the – uh, in the spaceship and just see what happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. R- random plot point. So like, random plot point. Like, oh yeah, like you know, it, it's taking too long. Let's just blow them up. Like that didn't make yeah, sense. Like, <laughs> that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> so first, first discussion based question in in terms of sci fi movies you've seen and what, what's limited to the two thousands. Let's say it's like sci fi movies from our era. Where are we putting this in terms of like a top three, top five, best one, like? Where, where does it kind of fit alongside in the sci-fi rankings? I, I I would say for me, I haven't seen it yet, but I'd imagine Interstellar would probably be in that A tier. Martian is, is still a favorite of mine. This yeah. movie, uh, I would say that's probably a good top three. I don't know if I'm like I haven't seen Dune. I haven't seen all of Dune, so I gotta like kind of like strap in. But but you put Dune probably in that conversation. Blade Runner, the the sequel, and probably the original. It, it it's a really good core, but especially in this this two thousands era, just the, the 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 sci-fi again, the sci-fi genre just kicks butt in this in this decade. Yeah, I feel like the like the beginning to mid two thousand tens, like the CGI kind of really kicked in. I feel like Marvel had a big a big hand in that, showing like what could be done, and you know then all like the you know, super serious filmmakers kind of you know, latched onto the fact that like oh like we could do stuff like this now like all right like bet you know um but yeah no i think in in terms of my favorites um you know arrival and Stellar are totally up there uh i think blade runner is probably up there too um so we got two villain later films <laughs> um i think in, in my personal opinion tenet is also up there okay from a pure sci-fi well it's not like super sci-fi it's more like like a more sci-fi-esque Bond movie, but not really at the same time. I don't know. Uh, but they, they have a lot of fun with that movie. It definitely feels sci-fi. 
just a little bit more action oriented. Um, I guess it's not really sci-fi. Then. I don't know, but no, I think it's it's got a, it's definitely top three. I feel like I I kind of agree. Another thing that's sci-fi supposed to be, and it does it really well. Is this movie too long, too short, or just right? I feel like it's just right. right. Yeah, it's perfect. I think it's if if it's too short, you leave out too much detail. If it's too long, you drag it out. I mean, it's and then you're you're just putting more information than you really need. There's not that much to really include. Then you know, at that point, you're just you know probably expanding on some alien or heptapod lore, which I guess would be cool. And and I I would enjoy that. I don't think most people would enjoy that, but I I think. but, again, not needed. So, I think it's just right. Last discussion question. This is my personal favorite because you can probably write a thesis on this. <laughs> overrated, underrated, properly rated. Oh, so underrated. So underrated. You could write a thesis about this. I, I, have, a whole yeah, list of, I have a whole list of reasons. So I'll let you go first, though. <laughs> um, yeah, again, I, don't, I, I feel like I have no – like, I have watched this movie so many times. I'm just like – why don't more people know about this? I don't know. It's it's just crazy. I don't know how it gets so lost. In I mean, what even came out? In, what is this? So so let me make the case for why this movie is yeah. probably the most underrated movie I think we've done out of all our pods together. Number one, again, it's kind of like it was too much quality over or quantity over quality in terms of the number of sci-fi movies in this decade, and I think the lack of a big like. Oh my God, Matt Damon starring in The Martian, like that level of hype. I think it gets lost with the Blade Runner thing, especially because you have the same director, different movie. That kind of matters. More importantly, though, I always forget that 2016 is the holy shit year for movies. Here are our best picture nominees. And this is a oh, this yeah. is a god squad right here. It is. This is the Moonlight La La Land year. For, oh shit! Yeah. <laughs> wait, it, it gets worse. I don't like La La Land. I think that's. It gets worse. Uh, Hacksaw, Hacksaw Ridge, which is probably the most emotional war movie since Saving Private Ryan from like a connectability stance. Hidden Figures, which is like probably the best social movie of that, of this uh, year. Manchester by the Sea, the best drama of the year by far. And then Lion, which is another good drop, like nonfiction drama that is quietly forgotten about. And I'm leaving off two movies that are in the best picture thing. Just from that alone that I mentioned, you, if you had to say which movie did people resonate the most with, Arrival would have been last. Like, beyond last. Yeah, This is a, This is, a, like, a, a goat list of movies. And this is just one year. Yeah. I don't know. Manchester by the Sea is probably the one that... Well, no, no, Manchester, no. What, what won best picture? Oh, it was Moonlight. Moonlight, Moonlight won this yeah. year, but Manchester was close. I thought Manchester... Shot should. Arrival wins. Yeah. <laughs> It was well. The other thing too is like, you look at it. Moonlight was a drama. Hacksaw Ridge was a war drama. Uh, La La Land was like a, a musical drama. Manchester by the Sea was very, a straight up. All very movies. Yeah, Ma- Manchester mm-hmm. by the Sea was a drama. Hidden Figures was a yeah. uh, historical drama. Arrival again is a drama, but it's science based. It was kind of like they zigged while everyone zagged, and I think it kind of got lost. Like again, arguably like a top three drama movie in that, but. Like, it kind of reminds me, I'm trying to think of, like, a good NBA example, ready for this, it's like Nate Thurman in the 70s, where <laughs> Thurman was, like, a really good NBA player, like, he was the best player in the Warriors, but he peaked when 
Russell and Will Chamberlain were in the league, and then Kareem and Wilt. Where it didn't and, matter. Yeah. Like there, it, it was a case of like there's so many good people that you forget about this guy, or like Reggie Miller, let's say, where there was such a plethora oh, of good yeah. shooting guards that Reggie Miller gets lost. I digress from the NBA talk, but this is like you, you, I can't like I can't get over how underrated this movie is just from like looking at this list of of 2016 movies, and I'm like, holy shit! Like <laughs> this, yeah, no, this thing was never gonna win. Just, what kind of sucks is that like the Oscars show no love to sci-fi movies. It's like it's totally like a you know foreign thing to them that sci-fi movies like exist and can be good, and they just you know just gravitate towards just like pure like you know just pure like you know realistic drama, um, like like a Manchester by the Sea or Moonlight or whatnot. Which you know I'm not taking a. That's not to say it's, I'm taking away from those movies because they are really good. You know they're, they're incredible movies and. In all honesty, Moonlight really did deserve to win that year, um, but yeah, poor libel. <laughs> well, and, 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 and what? Maybe not, they had a, you know, you know what? The fact that it got nominated shows that you know it, it's it was still a very you know, clear and cut. You know, yeah, yeah, but this thing got this done, thing got screwed done. over so hard. Oh, totally. I, I think the biggest chip is Amy Adams not getting nominated. Yeah, I, if you had to pick what was more egregious, uh, Arrival not winning or Amy Adams not being nominated, Adams oh. not being nominated is crazy. My because, because here, here are the nominees for Best Actress. Emma Stone for La La Land. I'm not the huge, biggest La La Land, but fine. Meryl Streep for Florence Foster Jenkins, which I would argue it's a – so I've never seen it, but it's kind of like – it's kind of one of those like is, is Meryl Streep just getting in for like – the name instead of the performance because it, it just that wasn't a movie that really resonated with people in 2016 yeah that's interesting i mean she's great don't get me wrong yeah she's very talented incredibly talented yeah so I, I haven't i can't i can't say like i know what to say about that just because i haven't seen the movie or the performance but I'm sure it's good yeah it, it's a it's a nuclear reactor of movies in the in this year that i think kind of like messed everything up you also need to factor into back to the sci-fi point that if this wasn't a franchise, Blade Runner had the name. Star- yeah. Remember, Star Wars comes out a year later. The either, you know, it was a year later with the first of the three sequels. So you're just like, okay, well, that's more, more, more nostalgia there. It didn't have the big name. When you combine all of it, again, in terms of all of the pods we've done, this actually is criminally probably our most underrated movie. Just looking at all of the context, looking at the awards, yes. looking at who's in it. It's easily like there's no there's no case for anything else. No, definitely not. If it had been released in the Nomad year or Nomadland year, it actually might have had a good shot. <laughs> so, so here's an interesting question, and then we'll wrap up. Is I don't know. It's more of a statement. I, I, I want to know if you agree or disagree. I believe that if it was in another year, it would have probably won the Oscar. But you have to ask yourself: Would this movie have resonated as well to people who like the movie? If it was in another year, like say for instance, this movie comes out in like two thousand eight, I don't know if it hits as well as if it does. In the, it kind of like like the bottom line, I think Arrival worked because it was with these other sci fi movies in a decade that capitalized on the nostalgic, apocalyptic, sci fi right. thriller dramas. I feel like this was like the right time for this. I feel like if you did this in, the interesting question would be if you did this movie in twenty twenty two. I think it would resonate a lot, but if you, do, I feel like it was the right decade. I feel like this is a good decade for this movie. That's interesting because I feel like it would have arguably have done better in in the, like in twenty twenty two. Now, obviously, like with with Dune and whatnot, there's no way like it could have came out. But yeah, um, but at the same time, you, you know, you think like within that period of all those sci fi movies, you know, Martian, Interstellar, and whatnot, 
Just got lost. Maybe that's why it gets lost. Yep. It could be. I don't know. Yeah, I I love the what is for these movies because you you don't really think about this until you like look at the years and look at like everything around yeah. you. You're like, wow, like yeah, <laughs> this this thing came along five years later. It might have been better. <laughs> you know, and let's say it comes out after Dune Part Two, like Arrival does. You know that that would have been peak. Yeah, it totally would have been peak because Bill Waver was still on the on the come up. You know, in in 2016, but like now he's like a you know you know certified you know a tour director, you know, that has a lot of respect to his name. And, you know, it's partially due to when he, when he did Arrival, maybe it was because it was so underrated, you know, despite the fact that it was underrated, I think he probably got a lot of confidence from it. Last question for you, but of course, ending it as always with all these film pods, what is the one thing about this movie that always keeps on making you come back to rewatch it? Um, yeah, I think it's, I see the problem is, it's like whenever, you ask this question, I feel like I've always already answered it. I gotta like refrain from doing that in the future. <laughs> hey, um, rinse and repeating is okay. If it's right, it's right. <laughs> that is true. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's just that it, it is beautiful storytelling at the end of the day. And to be able to do that within the realm of a sci fi movie, one, is really hard, and two, it's even better when you actually pull it off. Um, you know, because not many movies can do that, and you know, some really struggle with that. You know, like, you know, date, like movies like Star Wars, they can't do, you know, like what Arrival does. And, you know, if they ever do, then like, wow, like, congrats to them, but they probably, uh, <laughs> but, you know, it, it, within, you know, a standalone movie such as Arrival, you know, it's so, you know, rarely seen that this level of storytelling, um, you know, exists within the, the realm of sci-fi, um, and to be honest, I don't know if I don't think there's been a sci-fi movie since Arrival that's come out that's made me react the way I have, you know, to Arrival than you know, as opposed to any other sci-fi movie that's come out, um, which kind of sucks because I've been waiting. But, um, <laughs> but that's why I always come back to it. You know, it, it you know it always puts you in your bag, gets you in a, a you know a, a sad mood, but it's a good mood nonetheless. Um, you know, it's a very heartfelt story and. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's always fun to come back to. So, final thoughts on my end. I didn't ask this question because we would have beat the statement like a dead horse, but I don't think this movie's one of one because of how much it, it's just kind of fitting into the sci-fi kind of like genre of the times. But with that said, though, this movie is one of one from the, the point you brought up, which is the human element of it, the storytelling, the the blending of science and language, which you can argue is like pretty rare, just... I would argue from it's one-on-one from that perspective and overall you have to look at this thing as like it's kind of like a golden goose that's just been it's like a needle in a stack of needles that's been totally lost by by the times by the lack of influence and by just like everything around it it's still like it's an art form this is not just a movie it's like literally like a a cool art form that really is is probably like a, a top probably a top 10 film at least for me just based on the impact and like the the draw but a magnifying episode of Film Friday. Dan, it was good to have you on once again. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me on.